Right, so I've got a real treat for you all this week in the continuation of Marketing in a Crisis from the Uncensored CMO. I'm going to be meeting Orlando Wood. Now, for those of you who don't know, Orlando Wood is the author of Lemon, the best-selling and most successful IPA book. And uh, he wrote it just before Christmas uh, to much acclaim, and it's gone down a absolute storm in the world of advertising. And he, of course, he wrote it just before coronavirus hit. So I wanted to catch up with Orlando and find out to what extent has coronavirus changed the insights in his book? And what can we learn about the way that our right-hand and left-hand sides of our brains respond to crisis and advertising? And see what advice and tips Orlando can give us about how we should be approaching this crisis from an advertising point of view. So um, I hope you'll enjoy it. Enjoy the cultural references. He's, he's a man of great academia and history as Orlando. So um, you'll, you'll learn a lot, I promise, and uh, be inspired by uh, Orlando's particularly insightful views on how to make great advertising. Well, hello, John. Thanks for having me on your show. That's a very generous introduction. Thank you. I, I loved reading your book and it was one and reason why, you know, occasionally you read a book that genuinely changes how you look at the world itself. And I think to describe your book as just about advertising would be doing it a real disservice because it feels like it's much more than that. So what I'd love to do is, is, is ask you to sort of explain a bit about what inspired you to write the book Lemon and um, what we can learn from it. And then we'll come on and talk about the implications for the current crisis we face. Sure. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, it's um. Well, I mean, what what what's the background to it? I suppose I was working uh, on characters in advertising with the IPA and uh, had shown, you know, just how effective what I call fluent devices are characters in advertising scenarios in advertising, like you know, um, you're not you when you're hungry for Snickers. And I sort of found that they were disappearing and couldn't really understand why and hadn't really got a, a plausible explanation for this. But then uh, I came across a remarkable book called The Master and His Emissary by Ian McGilchrist. And uh, when you read it, it's a long book, but it's just a remarkable book uh, because the scales fall from your eyes. You know, you sort of read stuff that, that you, it just explains so much about the people in your lives, um, helps you to make sense of history and your time and place in the world. Um, you know, it kind of, it's just a remarkable read. And I was sort of looking at, at, I was just sitting in front of the television, you know, probably a year and a half ago now, looking at these ads and just how reliant they were on the word, you know, words being flashed up everywhere and just how kind of abstract they were. And it just sort of struck me, you know, that everything that Ian McGilchrist talks about in his book about the brain, um, just sort of, uh, is applying is happening you know now in real time um, and wouldn't it be fascinating to apply his thinking to um, to advertising and that's that's what I did and so you know what what the book shows um, in summary is that there's been a shift a change in advertising style over the last 15 years in fact a cultural shift that's made everything flatter more abstract uh, devitalized, you know, so characters have disappeared, for instance, you know, showing people as anything other than things or props. They've, they've you know, you don't, you just don't really see people interacting anymore on, on television advertising. It's got a bit, you know, it, 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 they've disappeared, you know. Um, 
so you end up with with work that doesn't engage people, doesn't entertain people, it doesn't attract or sustain their attention, um, and it's it's got this sort of neuroscientific grounding, and it's the work of Ian McGilchrist and his his work on the brain. So if, for anyone listening that hasn't um, heard you speak or watched one of your webinars, um, one of the fascinating things about the talk you do uh, on Lemon is that you start almost 2000 years ago and you, you kind of, you, you know, you bring us through, you know, 2000 years of history, culture, you know, the arts and so on. Um, why do you do that? Because I think it's a fascinating way to introduce the topic. But what does history tell us about advertising today? Well, you know, as as um, as they say, you know, history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. And you, you sort of, if you, I start with by looking at the late Roman period, and trying to, I mean, what I'm trying to do, I suppose, is is you know, when you step back from the world and look at it, it gives you a different perspective on things. So, you know, if we don't start in the middle of advertising today it's quite helpful sometimes because you kind of you're able to see things from a different perspective and and so what I do is I show uh, how in the period of the you know the third century AD uh, the, the late Roman Empire um, not that long before it collapsed um, you know you end up with uh, an emperor who um, tries to sort of categorize and uh, and uh, people and regiment them and fix prices um, rate card type mentality and and you see this amazing shift over a few generations from in artwork and in architecture uh you know in mosaics um from from a free organic sort of natural expressive world you know showing people connecting and, and touching each other and that kind of thing towards a world which is very stiff and rigid um, um, you know, you don't see people connecting with each other. It's very sort of look at mosaics. They're looking out at you fully front, you know, frontally on, if you like, um, you sort of unilateral communication, me at you and signs and symbols and, and flatness. And the same thing has sort of happened at various times in history. The Reformation is another period, you know, where you might say that you've got, you know, a stripping away of things and, and, uh, um, and a focus on the word and, um, uh, you know, flatness everywhere, the removal of characters and ornament. But you've got the same thing happening today. And it's, you know, partly a result of the, the digital uh, world um digital world speeds things up but it also enables you to to standardize things across the world you know so you've got global advertising that that looks it has to look the same everywhere but can't draw on local uh, cultural references show people talking interacting in a, in a special time you know in a particular time and place all those sorts of things so um yes we've, we we're in it we're in a bit of a, a bit of a spot so, I, so, so I, I, I can see how the trend plays out and I can see why, but what does that mean for advertising working or not working? Because, because you, you know, you draw some quite powerful insights that show why advertising is less effective today than it used to be. Well, it's all about the way the brain attends to the world, you know, so attention and anyone interested in advertising must surely be interested in attention and how, how, how we attend to the world. And, um, what, I mean, I should probably explain what, what the neuroscientific grounding is because it's sort of based on, on, on the work of this, this scientist in the Gilchrist and many, many others. And, and he sort of explains that the two halves of the brain 
you know, it's not they do different things, that's been debunked, it's that they do things differently, they've got different types of attention that they bring to bear on the world. And of the five types of attention that psychologists broadly agree on, four of them are really dealt with, you know, largely by the right brain. Um, so uh, alertness, you know, a vigil and vigilance, sustained attention, divided attention, you know, all, all these things. Um, only very narrow and goal-focused attention is dealt with by the left brain. So if you're trying to attract and sustain attention, which most advertising is trying to do, you've got to know a little bit about the right brain and what interests it. And so when you look at the, the sort of the way that you know what attracts the two hemispheres of the brain two things you know what, what they find interesting the left brain uh, not just in people but you know in mammals in birds you know it likes to sort of abstract things from its context to create a kind of a map of the world a, a, a sort of representation of the world that tends to be flat because it can't really see things in depth has no sense of lived time so it tends to be flat abstracted um, you know, it, it, it uses, um, likes to create tools to, with which to manipulate the world. So language signs and symbols are things largely of the left brain. And um, it uses these sort of representations of the world to, to, to you know, to, to change the world. Um, it's interested in power, control, um, and it's a bit paranoid as well. And, and it can only see things in very sort of black and white terms. Things are truths or lies. You know, they're, they're, they're facts or they're fiction. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a, there's a focus on facts at the moment, you know, everywhere, fact-checking, you know, with very little regard for wisdom, which, as Jeremy Bullmore said to me, you know, well, it takes a long time, it takes a lot longer to get wisdom. Um, so, you know, you kind of, uh, you, you, you see this in, in television programming, actually, you know, that sort of, not just the sort of fact-checking stuff, but you see the, 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 make, the fascination with making things, which is the left brain, you know, with Greg Wallace and his fish finger factories, you know, you kind of got, got this sort of focus on making things. Um, and what happens, you know, because the brain, the two halves of the brain, they're joined in the middle by this, this thing called the corpus callosum, and, and it, it helps to bridge the two brains, but it, it also um, suppresses, uh, inhibits one brain or the other at any given time, and the left brain has a greater suppressive effect on the right than the right does on the left. So at certain times in history, you get this sort of left brain dominance, the left brain as I've been describing. So and what you lose, you know, in these periods is everything that the right brain has to offer. And the right brain is a very different uh, way of looking at the world. It is broad and vigilant in its attention. Um, it's, uh, you know, kind of sees things as they really are, sees the whole. Um, and it, and it, if the left brain likes things, interesting things, the right brain understands people and it empathizes with them and it understands their expressions, their gestures, their intonation, their accents, you know, everything that wraps around the words. And it's uh, also, uh, you know, can see, see, hold the two opposing thoughts in, this, in its mind at the same time. So it understands humor and it understands metaphor. Um, and it's what gives us our sense of lived time and depth and helps us to appreciate music. You know, the left brain can only really appreciate very basic rhythm. So, so you know, uh, basically everything 
um, that, that people tend to cherish people connection relationships empathy spontaneity humor uh, metaphor you know all of these lovely things ambiguity the indistinct you know uh, a good sunset um, you know th these sorts of things are, are things that really attract the right brain and, and the living and so those are the sorts of things um, that that advertising needs to needs to sort of incorporate if it's going to attract and sustain attention. And we we're losing uh, that that in advertising. We or we've lost it largely. And and having having read your book as well, you, you demonstrate very clearly that it's those right brain features that are closely correlated to advertising, connecting emotionally with people, but then effectively working. Because obviously, what you want to do is change how people feel about your brand. And then if you can do that successfully, then they're more likely to buy. And, and I think you demonstrate very well that um, there's a close correlation between those right brain attributes and successful advertising that works in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, ads that, 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 that look flat and abstracted don't generate an emotional response, don't attract sustained attention, don't... Um, don't get remembered. Um, they don't even get watched. You know, they just they just bounce off. Um, whereas the the right brain stuff, um, you know, that has the this sort of depth and humanity and humour, um, that's the sort of stuff that attracts and sustains attention that engages people. And and as that's disappeared, you know, you've seen a fall in advertising effectiveness. Looked, you can see it in different data sets, but they all point to 2006 being the sort of time when uh, things started to go off off the rails. Yeah, it's quite dramatic, isn't it? I mean, looking at the graph you show of the the you know the increase in effectiveness, maybe 10 years ago, you'd expect 10 or 11 times the return on investment for a successful campaign. That you know, right down at two or three, it's got to be a worry for anyone who works in advertising and marketing. It is. It we're is. spending money making the wrong. Advertising. We are, we are. And, and you know, we're, we're also um, prizing, rewarding, awarding uh, the wrong kind of ads, um, which obviously is an incentive to make the wrong kind of ads. I mean, the, the kind of I show in the book, you know, that emotional response to amongst the general public to can award winning ads has been falling consistently over the last 10 years for you, you know, for UK and yes, US entries. <laughs> And, you know, there is, there's this sort of empathy gap that's opened up between Adland and uh, the way it thinks and what it values and the general public. Um, and, uh, you know, we've got to try and close that gap again. And, and a lot of the book is trying to explain, you know, chapter four, I talk a lot about the different way that, that people in, in the industry think from the general public and, and also the, the, the constraints that are put on them, uh, which is leading to this kind of flat work. So in, in your book, you do, you do talk about, you know, how changes in history ha have led to um, either left brain or right brain dominance in, in, in now, in, you know, in, in terms of culture and advertising and so on. We right now, are living through probably one of the most dramatic, impactful structural changes to our society, our way of living, our economy, how we interact with each other. Um, do you think that is going to have an impact on this left versus right brain way that we respond to the world and therefore things like advertising? Yeah, I mean, it's the, it's the question on everyone's lips, really, isn't it? I mean, what, what will, how will this change us? If, will it change us at all? Um, I mean, certainly the, 
you know, when you look at what's happening and when you look at uh, similar periods in history, you know, a few things, a few things emerge. I mean, you know, you look back at plagues and times of hardship and, and, and disease and, and war, you know, what, what does this sort of thing do to us? Well, it gives us a heightened sense of the precariousness of life, first of all. It gives us um, a heightened sense of empathy. Um, we're all going through not the same thing, but we're all affected in some way. There is some sort of shared experience, you know, through this or that we will have lived through uh, the same thing, hopefully. Um, and, you know, it, there's sort of this connection as well with the, the world around us, the people around us, um, and this, this uh, connection with the past as well. Now, all of these things I'm describing are things of, of the right brain. You know, the right brain's alert and vigilant, looking around it, open to threats, uh, to, to novel situations. It's processing what's going on. And it's as if the right brain has kind of woken up a little bit um you know and then you know there's the, there's a there's sort of this other sense that um you know there's this always always this sense of elation when this sort of thing is over you know the celebrations uh, afterwards you know, we may be returning gradually to normality but we'll, we'll have to see but there will be a sense of palpable relief when people can see each other again and and the other thing i mean there's a lovely uh, line actually in in McGilchrist um, in his book and he says this um, by standing back from the animal immediacy of our experience we're able to be more empathic with others who we come to see for the first time as beings like ourselves and that that sort of stepping back this enforced distancing that we've we're going through means that we are sort of you know when you step back from something you get a broader perspective you see connections and opportunities perhaps that you hadn't seen before um, and the other really interesting thing that McGilchrist says about, you know, times like this is that, you know, each of us wants to um, give, you know, contribute our individuality as a gift so that we remain, you know, that we, so that we're maximally connected, but also maximally ourselves. And that's a fantastic kind of guiding principle for brands, I think, as well as people. You know, how do you maintain your distinctiveness? How do you maintain what you are, who you are, while at the same time being maximally connected to the world and everyone around? That's a wonderful framing for it. So listen, that brings me neatly onto one of the, the big questions I wanted to ask you about. So probably the thing I get asked more than anything else at the moment, uh, at least every day by a potential advertiser is, should if you can afford to obviously big caveat right up front because you know a lot of businesses now can't afford to advertise or communicate um we, well we can all communicate but not necessarily pay in a paid for way if i'm going to communicate with my consumers um should i be doing one of those kind of covid ads that we're all starting to see look the same sound the same feel the same i mean we've all seen those reels you know on kind of you know on social media um so should we be doing that or should we be sticking to, as Mark Ritson would say, um, stick to the basics, stick to what you're well known for and continue doing advertising? So which of those camps or both would you be? Well, in? far be it from me to argue with Mark Ritson. Uh, <laughs> although they, uh, although he did promote your uh, post last week. He I did. Know. He also said that I was responsible for leaving him, <laughs> abandoning him in a bar in Toronto. Um, uh, we did have a drink together, but I, I certainly I, a drink or three. Yeah, we both we both behave very responsibly. Um, so um, uh, yeah, no. What? Well, you know, the good questions, and 
uh, work that we, and we've done lots of work actually in this area the last few weeks to try and answer some of those questions. That, I mean, the first thing we did was we tested, retested ads, 100 ads from um, the US uh, and the U across the US and the UK uh, that had first aired in January and February to see if there were any big changes in the scores in late March. And um, th that, the first thing we found was that no, not really, there aren't any big changes in the ability of these ads to connect with people. Um, but, you know, we, we sort of dug a bit deeper um, to try and work out, well, what kind of thing, you know, at the fringes, there might be things that are, that are performing a bit better or a bit worse. And, you know, interestingly enough, we found that it was the more empathic right brain features of ad, you know, those ads that had those features that were performing better uh, and ads that were a bit more mechanistic or left brained were performing worse. So, you know, things that had a sense of connection or betweenness, that had characters, that had a sense of lived time, that were set in the past, all of these right brain things, you know, were connecting better. And ads that um, uh, were highly rhythmic, that had focused on words, you know, on the screen, um, that were, uh, you know, I suppose, um, pandering a little bit to vanity, you know, I mean, this is a time of humility, modesty, and, and, and sort of self-awareness, um, things that are pandering to, to, to vanity a bit, um, things that, things that, um, you know, were focused on things and focused on, on the hard sell, or, you know, repeated, you know, hard sell messages, the, these things were working less well, um, so, so just in that alone, there is a direction for the sort of work that people should be running or bringing to air at the moment. But we've also done some other analysis looking at um, bra individual brands and how they're, um, this is, these are brands who are doing you know, COVID tactical response type advertising. And we've looked at their work relative to, uh, you know, the, the, their work last year in 2019 and we found at a, you know, at a brand level actually um, brands that are doing COVID-19 advertising that those ads are performing on the whole better slightly better um, than ads from before and uh, you we're also seeing that the picture varies dramatically by brand so some brands are doing much better work than they were before some brands are doing much worse work you know today than they were before and the brands that seem to be um i mean not by you know it just seems to be a pattern that the brands that that tend to be doing better work now than before are telecoms brands of course uh, mm, staying connected people. yeah uh, and also um food you know providers yeah, retailers, retailers that yeah, sort of done thing. some great work so they you know because and what I mean, this is what the other thing McGilchrist says is that you know a crisis restores meaning it kind of clarifies for people the important things and these brands you know have never been more relevant to, to use that term you know more more you know what they do they've really found their, their real purpose is to is to keep people connected and to keep them alive you know the, one, I mean, that's, the ones I thought were fascinating with the retailers in particular because if you look at Audi or M&S or you know any, any of the ones that are doing really good they're effectively like doing a public service announcement so like these are the measures we're taking to keep the trolleys clean and to make sure people are two meters apart and to make sure your shelves are stocked and um you know in in, in another age they would be fairly formulaic fairly boring and 
you know, fairly sort of, you know, just communicating information. But for some reason, you almost feel emotional hearing this because you're like, well done, retailers. You know, you kind of really feel it because they're responding to a crisis, aren't they? And, and uh, the, you know, they're, they're also being, um, you know, very generous. I mean, the fact is that the people are putting themselves in harm's way to work there and, and to, you know, doing difficult jobs. Um, you know, I mean, was well, like get it, getting a slot, you know, with the Tesco home delivery is now like a is is now yeah, the highlight of a week. It's like it's a I celebration. Mean, yeah, We've got yeah, a yeah exactly. So it's, um, you know, yeah, that you're right. I mean, these 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 um, you know, the, 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 but but essentially, that what could be more important at the moment than mm. food and uh, and survival? <laughs> totally. Kind of, and I think uh, having a positive message. I loved what ITV did with clap for carers mm. you see that the, the two Terrific. minute two minute spot um so they didn't just you know feature the doctors and nurses obviously and 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 the humanity that that brings across but that they landed a message that we need to keep talking to each other and and i think that's one of the most important things now is when we're disconnected is to stay connected and i just thought it was really good you know, good, it was, good it, move. And, it was the, and the way they did it as well, because you know, it showed all those charming kind of outtakes, you know, people fluffing lines, you know, the nurses fluffing their lines up front, which, you know, is, is exactly what the right brains will appreciate, you know, this sort of notion of spontaneity and, and actually this, you know, I mean, things aren't perfect often. Well, um, and, and, and actually on that, on that, one of the, you know, is the, as a sort of a, a former CMO myself, one of the things I find really interesting about this is that we're seeing um, very, very good advertising being put together in days using footage which is taken on a mobile phone. And, you know, there's no expensive production budget. There are no celebrities. There's no, you know, cleverly crafted reveal or whatever. Um, and yet it's connecting. And it, it, it I wonder if it will change the ad industry, you know, forever, really, because, you know, an ad that you may only have seen on social media before, you know, can be on TV and be even more effective than you know, a million pounds, you know, a million pounds yeah, yeah. at Christmas. Well, well incredible. You know, we, we tend we tend to overproduce things a bit, I think, uh, today. And um, and there's, a, there's it's sort of a bit more genuine when you show. I mean, there's there's a book, there's an ad in the in the in my in I refer to in Lemon. Um, uh, for Hellman's mayonnaise with Jeffrey Palmer, and you know he's sitting there on his chair, and there's a there's a rabbit next to him. It's, it's not a, it's not a, a real rabbit. It's a, it's a sort of very flimsy puppet, um, and you know it's sort of sort of squeaking. And uh, um, you know that, there are there are things there are things you can do. You know that, that I mean the, the the honey monster. You know uh, there are things that aren't that aren't perfect. Um, and you can um, you can do things that, that that actually they have more charm sometimes if they're not if they're not uh, brilliantly produced. Um, so one one I wanted to ask you about was um, the the Budweiser WhatsApp campaign as well. So they they brought I, I won't try and repeat it. WhatsApp. <laughs> but uh, um, so I've seen Budweiser do two things. Right, they they've brought back the original WhatsApp. Uh, from maybe 20 years ago or so, right? You know, the, the, the guys having a bird. Um, and then they've done a, like a, so almost like an, a Zoom call version of it as well. H how did those two compare? Well, interestingly, you know, I mean, that's the other thing that we kind of, I think it, it's worth brands thinking about is, is going back into the, the archives, into the attic, you know, to find um, 
established and possibly iconic work from the past. You know, if, if we're in this mode at the moment of looking back, um, the right brain is a bit more nostalgic. It's not as odd as it sounds. And so what Budweiser have done is they've, they've taken that, that lovely what's up ad and they've just changed some of the words, you know, having a bird in quarantine, you know, um, and, and it, you know, achieves a very good score. I mean, it connects really well with people and better than some of the specific, the work they've specifically created for you know, COVID, you know, where they have, they split the screens, you know, they show people connect, talking to each other on a, on a, on a kind of, um, something like Zoom, you know, that kind of um, uh, set up with the different screens, which feels a bit more forced, you know, um, than, than the original. And, and so, there, you know, this is a good time actually to, to look back at the past and to, to, to see if there's something that might be helpful and useful and a company. Well, this is where I think if I put my um, kind of client hat on, uh, is, is for those that can afford to, this is a wonderful opportunity to, because the cost of advertising has never been cheaper. The cost of production, you know, we, we you demonstrated there that the cost of producing a really emotive, effective ad is really low and you can move very quickly. So, so if you can afford to communicate and, uh, and advertise, then th there's, there's a lot you can do very quickly, very cheaply and very effectively. Yeah, and of course, you know, sort of animation and, and, uh, and things are still, uh, my understanding, still available, still possible uh, to do in this, in this time. So, um, you know, you don't, you don't, you shouldn't, and maybe there's a start of a new campaign in that, I don't know. But, you know, mother is, the, you know, the necessity is the mother of all invention, isn't it? So, um, um, you know, this is, it's, a, it's perhaps an opportunity. But, but, what, but those, certainly those, um, uh, you know, one of the things I would say is that those, those fluent devices, I call them characters, um, scenarios, because they operate in that slightly parallel world. They, they're a good insurance policy for anyone um, looking for a campaign that, that, that will withstand this kind of black swan event in the future, you know, because they continue to continue to work and, and there's nothing, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with showing don't, them. Don't, they, don't ditch the old, the old classics at work. Yeah. Fantastic. No, that's very, very good advice. So, so listen, um, I, I was really moved and, and, and impressed by your book. It was, it was a wonderful read. It's a genuinely um, well done on that. If people would like to take a read or have a listen, how can they, uh, how can they get hold sure. of it? Sure. Well, it's, a, it's uh, available on Amazon uh, and also uh, via the IPA. If you're an IPA agency member, you, you, know, you can get a, a discounted rate via the IPA. Um, and, uh, you know, um, well, I hope, hope you enjoy it. You know, it's um, uh, certainly had a, a, um, a, a been quite a response to it. I've been very touched by the, the number of people. Who've quite rightly. And, and I think I'm right in saying, aren't I, the best and best selling and fastest selling IPA publication to date? Well, yes, that's what they tell me. I couldn't. That's what they tell you. <laughs> I, I can't. I. I uh, that is. That is. I believe. Well, if the number of people I've spoken to and and you know how crammed your diary is right now, then um, it, it suggests that it's all true. So, uh, so Orlando, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, and uh, thank you for all your uh, all your thoughts. Thanks for having me on, John. Been a pleasure. Thank you. Bye
of course when i was talking i realized that the the, the, the rabbit was actually a real rabbit in the uh, in the jeffrey palmer example um so um but never mind i don't suppose many people will know and that was one of the points I, the points i was making was in the book that it, it was a real rabbit but um but there are but you know there's something delightfully sort of lo-fi about it and about many of the ads in that period the smash martians you know and others mm. so um uh yeah i don't know Excellent. i think it's i think it's probably fine i think it's fine <laughs>